Welcome to episode 282 of the No Persinium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from the No Pro headquarters here in Los Angeles, aka the kitchen table. This week on the show, I am so excited for this one. So very excited for this one. We have David Rosenberg and Glenn Neath, the creative team behind Darkfield Radio here on the show with us today all the way from england via the power of the interwebs um if you have not had the chance to experience darkfield uh they are on a hiatus at the moment but a second season will be coming um darkfield's just the most amazing spatial audio experience i've had a chance to have and given that I am a spatial audio nerd at this point, um, <laughs> loving loving things that are both uh, site specific and stuff at home, um, that's it's yeah, it's high praise for me. Um, the, the The work that they do uh, is is just it's the art form distilled to its essence, and it's so good that when I play video games that have spatialized audio, I am like, this is not as good as Darkfield. <laughs> Just really incredible work. So when the second season comes around, uh, and mind you, they play in the horror genre. So, uh, it, it will freak you out. Like hardened horror fans, uh, get the, the deep willies from this work. Uh, so just, just be forewarned. Uh, it'll make you jump, jump. Uh, that is what Darkfield does. And, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna jump deep into the deep end. Uh, this is, uh, as you'll, as we'll note in the thing, this is the second time we've done this. We, we lost the original version of it. Uh, and so there are even tributaries of the conversation we didn't get into, uh, this time, but there are new places we went. And I'm just so delighted to be able to have this on the show for all of you. And uh, really, if you're particularly if you're working in uh, any XR, you know, uh, stuff, whether you're working VR, AR, or if you're thinking about, well, how can we take our 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 theater work, uh, our our very dialogue, narrative-driven theater work, our character-driven theater work, and and bring it to audio? Check out what these guys do check out this whole world. If, if you've been struggling with the idea of audience centered design, these guys got it down and it's just headphones. Headphones is the delivery method. So really just amazing, amazing work. All right. Uh, some housekeeping stuff before we jump into it. Want to thank our latest Patreon backer, Adam Jacobs. Uh, we are going through the monthly churn. Uh, we're back down to 341. We were at 349 at the end of last month, and now we're dropped down again. It always happens. Sometimes, uh, maybe, you know, uh, just you know, check the Patreon. See, I'll probably send a note out to people like, hey, it didn't go through. I don't like doing that. I don't, I don't like playing accounts billable games. But uh, the Patreon is how we stay alive. Um, you know, that and begging, borrowing money. Uh, so, if you value what we do, 
uh, kicking a couple of bucks. And uh, that gets you into the backer exclusive parts of our Discord, uh, where we do hangouts and whatnot, and I have office hours available. And at the higher tiers, uh, you can call upon me to do some consulting stuff for you, uh, if you so choose. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's what's up with that. Our sustaining backers uh, at uh, for, on the Patreon, who you can join at patreon.com slash nopersinium, are Ari Herstand, Brittany, Elaine, Emily Gillette, Lonnie Hanson, Paul F., Mark Baltazar, Samuel Mustry, Sidney Guillory, and Jan Budman. And I am caffeinated by our friends at Yes Please Coffee. It's Yes Please, but I always say Yes Please. Uh, sorry, Tony. Um, Tony doesn't listen to this part, so um, it's okay. It's our little secret. Um, that's not spatial audio. That's just me doing fake ASMR. All right. Um, on that note, uh, I've got some thoughts for you about uh, Apple's you know, deeply rumored entry into the VR space, but those will be on, and, and also some notes on Sundance, uh, but you'll get those on the other side of this interview, which you should really listen to. Don't just listen to the Noah rants. I know some of you do that. Uh, don't. <laughs> Why do you want to listen to me? Wait, I was just saying to like, listen to what I was saying. Now I'm saying not to listen to what I'm saying. The coffee's not working yet, Tony. I'm going to need some more beans. Here we go. <laughs> We are here this morning, and just to warn everyone, my brain's not working right during this interview, so if I go off the rails more than usual, it's my fault. Of course it is. Uh, are the folks from Darkfield Radio, which, uh, as folks who listen to the show on the regular know, we are very big fans of here at No Persinium. So I'm going to have them introduce themselves so you can learn their lovely voices. And that would be, we'll start with David. Hi, I'm David. I am one of the directors of Darkfield. And I'm Glenn. I'm the other director of Darkfield. All right. Fantastic. Uh, these guys have suffered for the last 10 minutes through all sorts of technical problems. And we have actually done this episode before and lost it to the computer. So uh, we've been living under a technical curse. And hopefully uh, this time out, we'll, we'll get everything. Because we had such a good conversation last time, I knew I had to have you guys back. Um, for, for starters, for those uh, members of my audience who have been very naughty and haven't gone and experienced one of your guys' works, could you, could you explain what Darkfield is? So we, um, we started working together, well, me and Glenn started working together about 10 years ago, making performances for audiences in total darkness using binaural sound recordings and other sensory effects to create these imagined environments and imagined characters for audiences. Um, and we, and when Darkfield started uh, around 2016, we began touring these experiences in shipping containers. And these are, we've, we've made about uh, four shows to date that are, or five actually, in containers. And uh, and we use lots of different uh, other sensory effects in the containers to augment the sound. But the main um, driver of all of the experiences is binaural audio. And when the lockdown uh, in the UK started, which was uh, around March of last year, we we couldn't tour any of the location-based work. And we began uh, making 
uh, audio uh, performances for audiences at home. And, and that's where Darkfield Radio started. Um, we use a, a phone app, a, a platform that we made uh, in order to release these uh, audio experiences. And it's very important for us that they still feel live. That there's, um, So they're released at certain times. You or two out of the three of them that we've made so far, you do with another person. So there's there's something very active, and so it's not just a another a, a sort of passive listening experience. There's something else going on that feels very much in the moment. There's there's definitely I want to dial in on, on the live part for a second, particularly like the the release window decision. I mean. You could, if you wanted to, have almost like an infinite number of these going on, but you you set it up so they these happen at a specific point in time. Why make that choice? Because it 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 feels different in such a in such a, from any kind of other podcast thing that I've encountered in the yeah. pandemic era. I think we wanted we wanted them to remain an event. I think all of our shows are about. Um, a, a, a communal audience coming together and we, we from the very beginning of Dark Floor Radio we wanted to sort of uh, stick with the idea that you were doing it when only you're doing it with somebody in, in the room that you're doing it with but also this idea that there's a community of people doing it everywhere else around the world uh, was, the, was one of the things that we played with in our first show double um, yeah and I think I think just the idea of having a t just just I think that they work very much better the more that people invest in them. And I think, you know, if, if there's a sort of start time, people are more likely to invest in the setup. So we, we ask people to darken the room and prepare themselves in, in a way. And there's something about this sort of ritual of, of, of doing something that makes them feel more special. And I think more in, and, the, and, the, and the people become more invested in them because we're asking people. Uh, there's a bit of an ask in the shows and, and people we feel that people will be more invested if it becomes an event. And I think most of what we've been doing has been uh, taking things away from from an audience. So, with with, with well, always uh, taking away the image and and uh, and uh, and just and and then just really trying to uh, get audiences to pay attention to the sound. And here, just removing the 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 choice of when to do shows there's i think i think essentially we're we're anti-choice maybe that's what it is <laughs> we're, also, we're also control freaks i think so we're, we also want to try and control as much of the experience as we possibly can i think with the, with the yeah. radio shows we we didn't we we lost the element of darkness which we were able to you know plunge the audience into with these radio shows and we you know we didn't want to give up too many things yeah, this is it. We're sort of tyrannical <laughs> makers. <laughs> what you guys do is kind of can be boiled down to like a set of instructions, right? Uh, and and in some ways, it's like the, the the radio one, at least Eternal, which is the one that I've done because it was the one solo one. You know, you take on a bit of a of responsibility of like you know making sure you get into bed and like you know either you know, closing your eyes tight or like, like I did, like throwing the covers over your head just to like remove like a little more of that choice. The audience kind of becomes complicit in the experience that way. 
it's a little bit of like, well, but you're doing this to yourself. Uh, you know, at any time you can pull the ripcord and just like stop having there be a man in your room that wasn't there before. Um, and 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 that there gets us into this this act of co-creation, which for me is the the heart of making immersive things. Yeah, um, yeah, I think that's 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 right. I mean, I think. Uh... I mean, we, there was a sort of concern when we when we started with the first show that we, because we weren't able to use darkness, that we would. Um, uh, there was a sort of responsibility that people might open their eyes and 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 compromise the, sh the show. But I think, as as we've sort of done them, we've realised that people take that responsibility on themselves. You know, they feel they don't blame us; they blame themselves. So it's a. Mm. Um, but I think that's right. I think there is definitely a sort of. I've always felt that the show is a sort of finished off by the audience because we leave a lot to the imagination we sort of i think david had a brilliant uh, phrase about the idea of having audience shaped holes in in the environments that we create and that's where the audience put themselves and then they sort of fill out the stuff around them you know whether that's a set or whether it's a, a bunch of people or david regan jump in uh no i just sorry i just had to mute myself and now i'm uh, unmuted myself <laughs> But there's but but Glenn did have a good toss to you, which is this idea of an audience-shaped hole, and and I, I love that as a metaphor. I wonder if you can um, expound upon that. Um, well, I think the thing um, the thing with immersion is is there's that because it's all about imagination without uh, without creating sort of space for an audience, then. Um, then it's something that you're just you, you're just then listening to the the kind of narrative of other people, and I think this idea of of trying to create space for an audience where they're spoken to and they become part of a, of a, the the narrative or they have a role within the narrative, that that makes a very different kind of of experience that isn't about. Um, sort of wondering what's get what, like wondering what the story is with the other characters, but it's more about wondering what's what's going to happen to you next, or what, or how are you going to be implicated? And that's such a different paradigm of design from, you know, just trying to get a story out there and present and perform for people. I wonder if you could talk about you know, how one of these pieces come together? Does it start with a story? Does it start with um, a sensibility you want to bring to the audience? I asked this question in part because I know last time when we got into it, we got into some really fun places. So I'm hoping we might be able to recreate what we did before. Um, we, but yeah, like, does, does it start with story or does it start with... I mean, it never starts with it story. It never starts with a story. <laughs> We don't we don't write stories and then try and stage them. All, all of the everything about the experience is about how we are imagining the audience is going to be engaged. So you know we don't we often start with a sort of a concept or a design or a, or a, a, a configuration of seats about how we think that the audience wants to be, and then we always work out from there. So often the sounds that we think about we think about what will sound good. You know, so often you know. Um, that's one of the drivers and and the design all the shipping container shows have been made within environments which are created inside the containers which the audience go into and then take that environment into the dark with them 
so I suppose that the challenge with these radio shows was that we were working with with less secure spaces in that we didn't really know. I mean, we were working in a kitchen, but we were we didn't have any control over how the kitchen was designed and where the toaster was and where the clock was on the wall. And there was, so there was a sort of a sense of uh, working with spaces in a different way. Um, we thought a lot about. Yeah, we thought a lot about, we thought in, in double, we thought a lot about kitchens. We thought about the kitchen that the, the audience was sitting in with their, with their partner. We thought about the kitchen, the fictional kitchen, which we imagined laying on top of that kitchen. Then we thought about all the other kitchens, all the way that everybody else was doing the show. And so we sort of tried to, to, to work in that, in that space existing in between all these different spaces. I think the, for, for me, I always try and, I, I think of the, the idea of, of working with these different spaces and trying to align them. So trying to align the real space that the audience is sitting in with a fictional space, which the, the closer those two are aligned conceptually and, and, and the better the show is for me. Um, and I think there's like, for, like with, with visitors for, with our, for our second show, um, I think that, w- that one of the things that we wanted to create there is, uh, is a different, uh, a, a feeling that there were, there were these two imaginary characters in the space with you and this idea that, that one of them is speaking to you and the other one is on the other side of the room speaking to your partner. And um, so, so and, and, then, and they would, and, and one of them would take your partner uh, out the room into another room and you both end up with your back against a door on either side of a door. So, so, so we sort of, had thoughts about um, a journey that we wanted the audience to take really before we started thinking about what the kind of key narrative of that show was. And eventually, you know, we arrived at, at uh, the, this, the, the, diff- the, the longing for touch, uh, which, mm. which is a, a sort of thing that dead people have, but also one that we all <laughs> have at the moment. This is this is hell. We 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 all know it. Uh. <laughs> but I think I mean, we are. I mean, this is this is kind of hell, isn't it? it and and what's so depressing is you know. yeah, it is. But we sort of it's kind of it's also sort of a bit a, a, like easy. It's, bit too, it's it's terrible and and for lots of people it's it's far worse but yet still it's um it's something it, we so easily have have become used to which is just the bizarre yeah like the, the degree of the degree to which humans are adaptable particularly to stressful mental situations like or another way of putting it the amount of shit we'll all put up with is kind of incredible. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, and, and anyway, that, that's, that's a whole nother thing. It feels like the world changed several times since we talked last two. It's like, it was like a couple of weeks ago we did and it's like over here, it's just been nuts. Um, but, but yet still, I haven't like, certainly not on my road. I haven't seen anyone like, shouting out of their bedroom window in a sort of network kind of <laughs> see that has so i haven't i haven't 
I mean, you know, maybe there are some people doing that, but I haven't experienced that. I'd have thought by now we'd all be doing that. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we have like, like here in LA, we have people running around, like there've been some anti-mask brigades and they like, they charge into malls. What the malls are doing open, I don't know. It's, it hasn't made sense whatsoever. It's, it's daft. Um, but they're running around doing that and it's just, oh God, like, Americans are are so I want to say gloriously selfish as like a, a a species as a culture, um, but there's there's nothing glorious about it. It's just a lot of a lack of awareness of how interconnected we all are, which makes the fact that the work you're doing, creating these event moments, creating these points where like. Here are all these people in their own kitchens, in their own bedrooms, and yet through the the magic of the power of suggestion, really, you draw everyone into kind of an er space, an, an imaginal virtual reality that 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 exists through again, like suggestion, through audio cues and words, uh, and kind of brings everyone into into the same experience. Like kind of kind of shows like how easily we are connected to each other. Um, if, if we were just allowed to focus on that for a bit, I don't know. Yeah. And, and I think, I think also there's I mean, at the heart of a lot of, a lot of the work that, uh, that we make is, is really this question about what reality is. And, mm. uh, and it's, I mean, there's, and as soon as you start thinking about that in any kind of detail, you, you it does become increasingly uh, more difficult to really put your finger on on that. I mean, of course, there's the stuff I touch, and there's this this maybe this in some ways superficial reality of the chairs and table and room that you're in. But but the only thing that I that I know is that I'm conscious. That's it. I mean, that's the only thing that I can have. Uh, like a hundred percent like certainty is is of that i that I am conscious, and everything else is is there are certainly things that I'm more sure of than others but but uh nothing is is absolute um and I think that what we what we what we play with a lot is these is just the ideas of 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 uh, of what's real, what is real, and what is imagined, and 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 whether there's you know there's and if whether there's even like to break down maybe a bit of the hierarchy between uh, between the real and the imagined, or 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 to give as, uh, more importance to the imagined, or at least to give it a bit more of a voice. Let everyone know what we're talking. Well, that was a bit rambly. Was that? Was that <laughs> no, like, no, no, no. Like you're, you're getting you're getting the heart of it. You're getting at the heart of it, but I think I think to let people know, like, like th this this isn't in theory for you guys. This is in practice, and so for those who I, I, I'm hoping that a lot of the people who are listening are just excited to get the behind the scenes, and so they know, you know, they've they've done visitors or double or eternal like I did, and so so folks know the experience for say eternal, which is I, I've done two of your. Guys' experience one at home. I did a turtle, and then also did the invisible, uh, which was was in a shipping container uh, at Universal. And 
the the level of spatial binaural sound you guys are working at the illusion is almost perfect to the degree where the choices that you're making you often don't know oh is that something that's in my headphones or am i getting a signal from like outside um you know outside the range of my headphones like um, you know, is that a dog barking in my earpiece or is that a dog barking outside my window? I don't know. It sounds the same, uh, particularly if you've got an, a nice little pair of, of, of headphones, but you, you can hear people in space the way that if say, you know, to the listeners right now, if you were to pause this in a second, close your eyes, and for about a minute, just listen to the sounds around you. You can start placing things in space. That's what gets hijacked. That spatial awareness, the world we make in our heads through our ears, which we're almost never conscious of, you guys hijack that in order to create an alternate field of reality. And so I'm wondering how you guys do that like how much of this is something that's a practical physical set that a performer is moving through and how much of it is is post-production tricks well almost everything that we do or certainly the the we try and and record everything um uh in in a studio or uh, or in a in a particular room if we're if we're if if that's the going to be the final uh, the, the way that the, the the place where the audience are, are listening back to it um we there's there's always a lot of post production work or sp- additional sounds that we need to spatialize afterwards but i think the the most successful uh recordings that we make are always ones where we uh, we do it all within the space with the actor, with um, the movement of the actors and or, or other objects that make sounds that are all choreographed around this um, this um, microphones and and um, so to make these uh, the audio is is much more like a film set in a way because you're de- it's you're dealing a lot with um, the the. Uh, the proximity of actors or how um, how like a hand moving across a table that's moving in the direction towards you and how that sounds so there's there's lots of different ways that we that we choreograph the sounds that we're making that really con- that, that that's what makes it it, it feel so co- uh, convincing that that it might be happening I, but I also think it's to do with the things that we choose to uh, we don't we don't do anything unlike impossible you know all the things the noises that are, that we that we that we're experimenting with them and, and keeping in the room are always small things that 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 keep people in the, in the moment of of, of wondering is, is that real or is that not if we would if we did something mm. mad then people wouldn't necessarily believe it so we yeah. so i i think there's two you know going back a little bit to this idea of these two different spaces i think we we're playing with the with the sound, real sounds that are possible within the room but when it works best within double for example we ask the audience member to 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 look at their partner across the table from them and to close their eyes and 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 uh and describe what that partner looked like in their in their mind and likewise the room around them and i think there's something about when i tried to when i closed my eyes in my office and tried to remember everything on my desk there were massive gaps and i think there's something about that sort of slippage of mm. and, and that's the sort of 
the, the places that we sort of explore and, and and it's it's small things again that's a small thing you know the idea that you can't picture the room around you so we're not asking the audience to imagine uh unbelievable or impossible things which is which is why i think they feel so real as well um, and, and and another another really key thing is this is um using these uh, using this these kind of uh, this uh, immersive sound without an image and ask and in in our shows turning the lights out or or in these shows asking the audience to close their eyes certainly at, at, at certain points it's it's so important because as soon as there's an image as soon as you you're um you're also looking at something then in general your, your the perception of sight it leads and and you and the sounds kind of tag along to what you're seeing um which, so which is why like in in cinemas you could you can you can actually get away with just sticking a speaker in one corner of the room and eventually the words do seem to come out of the lips of the people on the screen in front of you um and it's also why with with there's uh, VR experiences they've got that have got incredible spatial sound, but it kind of it, it, like if it's the sound of that you're watching of a character that you, that you also see moving around you, um, the the vision is the thing that leads it. So uh, the image leads, and 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 so you don't even notice the sound so much. Be able to create that in, in environment. I mean. It works at like a subconscious level, particularly in VR. And, and I don't know, I was, like when last we talked, like I'd had the experience of like, I was like playing a game that had like THX spatial audio, like, you know, like on the, on the box. It was like, this is a thing we did and we're so proud of it. And, and a couple of games like that. And, and just how little they were actually exploiting that and how like depth and distance wasn't really there. And then like, the same night like i did eternal and like it it's it's so precise you know like you could you've got a whole room built around you just with sound alone and and knowing that it just when things are coming in at that almost subliminal level um the the it's such it, it relieves like a, a heavy lift of suspension of disbelief uh, glenn you mentioned like you know filling in the gaps or, or that their gaps are there, um, you know, trying to like imagine your desk. Like if someone to close their eyes right now, and we like, talk say, a lot about gaps in general. Yeah, yeah we do talk about yeah. gaps. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, gaps and holes. Well, I mean, one of the things I've always thought that that makes any kind of fantastical, you know, thing, whether it's like a science fiction universe or or an immersive theater show. Uh, I, I often talk in terms of lacunas, like memory holes. And like there are these, if there are these attractive gaps in the the fictional world that's been created, the audience starts to like feed into it, right? And it's almost like you want to intentionally have there be gaps so that people can start to invest themselves in it. This this I find, you know, when when Hollywood studios are trying to make a franchise, the the suits want to have answers. It's like, but why this? Why that? It's like they're all like four, you know four year olds. Like, but why does Batman so angry? Well, his parents got shot in alley. Can we see that? It's like we've seen that a lot, but I want to see it now. Uh, and so that's why we always see Batman's parents get killed in an alley. I played a VR thing last night and literally it started with it. I was like, I was actually kind of, I was like, oh boy, I get to see the Waynes get shot in VR. Great, you know, like it's every medium now. 
and then check that one yeah. off. Um, but it's like, but but the the things that people wind up really loving are the mystery, right? Because your own imagination starts to work it. Yeah, but like, okay, his parents died, but how did he become Batman? I mean, no one becomes Batman like that. Or you look at something like, uh, my old example was like Joss Whedon's Firefly, because people loved that show and so enthusiastic about it. And there were like, 13 episodes and yet the fans held on to that for a very very long time because there were these gaps in the story that they could pour themselves into um and and that's i almost feel like that's the secret of of making great work is leave of any kind is leaving room for the audience and in immersive work it's almost like you gotta do that from the jump otherwise you're not connecting with them at all. Yeah, I think that's... There's, there's also another thing which is about... Um, is about how things live on for an audience and, and, and how they remember things. And there's, there's something that, that, um, that I always think about, uh, which, uh, which, actually, which comes from the world of, of tabletop magic. Oh, well, so I used to, I used to, I'm not particularly proud of this, but I used to do tabletop <laughs> magic in a, in a, res, in a, in a restaurant. Um, this is, this is about 25 years ago. Why are um, you proud of that? Um, I don't know. Shit. I don't know. I always say, I, because, because the experience is usually just one of, of rejection because you would mm. have to, you'd like be paid by the restaurant in order to go to these tables and essentially no one really wanted you to go to their table this isn't america so in america <laughs> people seem to really love magic in the uk <laughs> the last thing that people want when they go out for dinner is for someone to kind of uh, put pull a, a, a card out of a matchbox that was in their pocket whatever they don't want it they don't want any of it right. Um, but the, but one of the the things that was one of the sort of psychological things about about magic tricks is this idea that through what you say and an order of events that that you create a false memory for the audience about what happened and so when they then recount the trick to someone else and when they sort of when they then explain what happened they're explaining something that is impossible because they've mixed up the order of a couple of the events or they've missed that they've missed mm. something out and so so what lives on with them is something that that is completely impossible and then with each retelling becomes increasingly more impossible and so there's a then these sort of a tiny mythology about a card trick then grows and i think that that's something that that um i'm not sure whether we directly try and affect people's memory of events but of these of these shows but i think there is some people do misremember things in such a way that that in thinking about the shows and sometimes things can feel even more uh uh, uh, even more su or, uh, surprising or there was there something feels even more real that it, it something definitely happened. That well, that definitely happened. That draw definitely yeah. opened. Yeah. The very the very <laughs> first thing that we did in a show together um, in 2012, whatever it was, called Ring, and David suggested this, and I, I was like, "That's we can't do that. Nobody's going to believe that." So the idea was that the, the audience sat on two banks of seats facing each other, and there was an actor in the space in for the first five minutes of 
as the show was introduced. And then when the lights went out, you heard the recorded actor um, ask everybody to move uh, their seats into a circle. And then you heard all the chairs moving into a circle. And then he whispers in your ear that you can stay where you are. And it, it was it's extraordinary. Back, so you really can't. You would you, know. It was the first thing we asked people to do. And everybody... It, it felt it sounded very believable, and 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 when I think back about that show, I still think of it in a circle, even though it was, of course, nobody's chair moved, and uh, and it's it's interesting, just in what David was saying, this idea that you tell you tell a a, a, a non true story because I I described that show in a circle because it took place in a circle, right? Well, th- this idea of playing with the like reality is ambiguous. We, we never are actually certain. It's also why when you see someone who's so certain, it, it sets off alarm bells or it should yeah. set off alarm bells. Like if you find someone who's very, very certain, like that should not inspire confidence in anyone because that's someone who's deluded themselves because the world is an endless mystery. We do not know what's actually going on. And I, th- that impulse for you know, uh, mainline entertainment to be like, so very crystal clear about what things are, what the order of events are happening. Cause people want certainty. Like they want the, they want gospel level certainty, but even the gospel relies upon ambiguity. They, they, the gospels all disagree with each other. And, and I just got this image of someone like intentionally making the painting a little blurry in order to, get people to love the, 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 the painting, to love the, the thing. Because if it's too clear, that doesn't feel real. I should wear glasses, actually, but, um, um, but I don't. So my, so, which, Everything's which, blurry for you. <laughs> well, it's kind of a, a little bit of a soft fat. I mean, I probably should wear them when I drive. But... But um, but I haven't worn them for years, and and I think that coffee in my mouth when you said that. <laughs> there's a very tiny. There's like it's not you know my eyesight's not that bad, but there's a little bit of a soft focus on things mm. which I enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> what a friend of mine has just said is an operation on cataracts, and he said he's now seeing the world as like um, in two different light states. So a sort of one eye is quite warm, the old the cataract eye, the other one, the new one. It's got this kind of almost like a, a bluey neon look about it. So he's basically seeing the same picture in two different ways until he gets the other wow. one fixed. Wow. But I think, you know, that whole idea about the idea, you, you talk about pictures. I mean, all of these, all of these things are constructs. So, you know, when you mm. f- famous, uh, famously painters in the, 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 you know, the old masters, pe- pictures, was, I think it was called the golden triangle where they would, they would put a vertical line up a, up, up a canvas at a certain point, a certain distance in to create the correct composition. So, you know, even, even whatever they were painting, they put a tree up there or, a, or a, a line of a wall in order to make the composition complete and correct. But of course, that's not uh, true. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a construct in the same way, I suppose, as a lot of stories are, are, are created now. You know, there's a sort of way, there's a way of writing a story where s- certain things are supposed to happen along the journey of the story and and and, and that's been written down as a, as a sort of as a sort of uh stencil or whatever the way to do it and uh yeah. i think that we you know we we, we, we me and david talk about this a lot about that but we don't 
about people that are expecting stories from us and we never managed to uh, <laughs> never managed to satisfy them <laughs> <laughs> but i think we're, we're in this place where well on one level it feels like we're in a cultural moment where what is the form of our stories is is in question but i also think that i actually what i actually think is that we're in this moment where the different disciplines where where music and dance and and narrative are in a dialogue with each other that they haven't gotten to be in for for a while because people don't people don't expect a pop song necessarily to have a narrative sometimes they do and we love it right uh, but other times it's just like it's a feeling it's an idea it's like the the purity of that that emotion distilled down to 2 minutes and 30 seconds with a backbeat right um, or a painting, you know, suggests a whole world, um, or, 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 and, and, and we ourselves are the ones who start to bring our own narrative to it. We, we make meaning out of what we're encountering. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and, and dance is really, is, a, so I, 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 um, I also uh, make a dance performance with, with um, a choreographer uh, called Frauke Retvart. And, and, and so it's, con it's contemporary dance. And, and what's always so interesting in, in, making, in, in making these shows is that there we, we, we have absolutely no idea what something is going to mean. And then, and then through a certain movement, there is... So, something feels meaningful and yet you still quite you don't quite know what that is and then by by gradually piecing together movements sequentially then there's sort of some meaning that comes comes across but it's still very um it's very hazy it's there's certainly not nothing concrete unless you're unless you're making sort of very narrative dance with a more um, a, with more abstract dance, then you sort of a, you kind of arrive at suggestions of meaning, and it's 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 a really lovely puzzle to sort of to be making this work and gradually through in rehearsals, just trying to work out what what it is, what it is that you're making, and what it is that it means, or what could be the meaning of it. Well, this is true. Whenever I'm speaking to students, I always talk about you know that people will try and 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 put two things together and, and, and make a me meaning out of it and then i came across something the other day where there is an actual word for that actually that's an existing thing where that is a people do try and make meaning out of it and that's that's kind of a sort of a, a storytelling urge and maybe you know the things that we do you don't need to tell traditional stories because people will will, will sort of bring their own version of the story if you know what i mean so you were talked to earlier on about you know the audience filling out the design or filling out the rest of the story and maybe there's something in that too maybe it is about you know putting a few things next to each other and allowing the audience to string them all together what what is that word I, i'm just I, I wrote it down in my notebook i'm going to see if i can try i'm going to see if i can find it but uh oh we're going to keep recording until you do find it because i want to because <laughs> like because it's making me i mean that's sparking everything i mean that's how alternate reality games work that's how conspiracy <clears throat> theories work as we're all too familiar with at the moment like we are we, we, you know humans do pattern recognition at at it, it, like we're, we're thirsty for it, right? We've got to create a model of the world in our mind and we're constantly updating it. And it's, it's hackable and exploitable. And these days I spend a lot of time 
maybe that's a little bit of a lie, but I spend some amount of time thinking about what can we do to kind of, you know, inoculate people against bad models of the world getting into their brain while still not, I don't know, like deadening people to the fact. Cause there's something, there's something really fun about letting yourself be taken over by, you know, an alternate universe. I mean, I love my fiction, uh, but I also know that it's, well, it may be emotionally true. It's not physically true. And you got to still operate in, in the real world. Did you find it? No, I haven't found it yet. I vamped as well as I could. <laughs> you're going to find it. You're going to email it to me because I got to know. I, I will definitely find it at, at some point. Hopefully, like before we run the show, and then like in the in the closing, I'll be like, "And that word is this," and that's yes. all. Do it. Oh it's going to be a real disappointment. Oh yeah, <laughs> it is. It's just going to be something like really mundane, but still, um, you know. Or maybe it's something in the German, which is always fun. You know. Um, I think it begins with A. <laughs> oh, brilliant! Oh boy! Okay, <laughs> so everybody, hit your dictionaries. We're going through A. Um, They'd There'll do be it too. Coming soon. They I think it do. might be apophenia. Apophenia, yeah, is yeah. That that's it? like, that um, yeah, 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 yeah. I think that sounds right. I don't know. Okay, okay. I, can't, I have never heard that word before. Uh, it, it for some reason it it I started to substitute in like the definition for pronoia to it, but I think they're kind of related. Um. Apophenia yeah. is the tendency to perceive meaningful connections between unrelated things. Oh, so basically it's like delusion. And... No, I think is it's it? just, I think, no, no, I think it's just, it's just, um, it's, it's the sort of natural urge to, to create stories. That's how I, that's how I understood it. Yeah. Well, or you can think about how it applies to like interpersonal life, you know, like, we were listening to that song when we, you know, when we had our first kiss or like, I always associate, you know, chocolate ice cream with, you know, that time my dad took me to Disneyland or something, you know, of those natures, right? Like they're not actually related, but, but we tie them together because we make patterns out of things. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So I was, yeah. Sorry for being uh, so negative about that word. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, but, but, but it, doesn't... it sounds lovely and i was just like basically like classifying it as some sort of uh, psychiatric illness <laughs> like like almost anything like look a knife can be used to open a box or open a person you know and like most of the time you're not supposed to open a person so um you know and it's it's, it's unless it's a unless it's sunday <laughs> what <laughs> Uh, <laughs> no, never, never. Yeah. Okay. Like, look, you're a surgeon. Listen, you're a surgeon. Oh yeah, and no, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> just as a, just as a final thing on the idea of this idea of con- you know how you construct narratives and stuff, there was a great thing that uh, now I heard the other day. Now Rogers talking about how when he started writing songs, he was he always sort of said, oh, you know, there's a chorus, a verse, a verse, a chorus, a verse, a chorus, and he thought you know, the chorus is what everybody wants. Let's start with that. And then, you know, mm. and then listening back to the Sheik songs, he did, that's exactly what he did. He started with the chorus. He went, he went straight in there, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. We, I mean, that, and that's 
that's sort of the the magic of our great cultural creators. Like they find the pattern that's at work and then they like tweak it a little bit, mm. you know, they, 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 they exploit it and, and move on from there. Well, guys, no, I've got, this, I'm, oh. I'm going to be kicked out of this room in a, in a two minutes. Yeah. Um, no, I was about to note, like this, this is an excellent spot for us to, to, to wrap. Um, so just like if, when folks want to connect, I know we're, you know, the, the first season's closing down, uh, and we're moving on to the second season, but where should people, uh, keep their eyes peeled for, uh, for more Darkfield? Darkfield.org. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I'm... So it's all good. Sign, sign up for the mailing list and, uh, you'll, you'll hear when things are happening and all the sort of socials are on there as well. Fantastic. All right, guys. Thank you so much for coming back onto the show and for us. Hey, no, getting... it was a real pleasure. Thank you. No, that was brilliant. Yeah. Um, uh, two great conversations with you guys, one of which people get to hear. So um, um, <laughs> I, I'm the one that. who's spoiled. So. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, I want to thank David Rosenberg and Glenn Neath of Darkfield. You can find out what they're doing at darkfield.org. Sign up for everything. Make sure that you are first in line for the next season of Darkfield Radio. Uh, and again, I I wish we had both both sessions because uh, just a really, really fun conversation with those guys. And I could have talked for hours, uh, but indeed we were all kicked out of our various rooms. Um, uh, yeah, uh, really seriously, like the, the entire computer crashed last time. So there, even the backup, I make a backup and the nothing got, nothing got written to disc. It was like that bad of a recording situation. Um, it happens. Luckily, not all the time, just when you really don't want it to. Okay, um, I promised you uh, some chatter about Apple and VR and about Sundance. Uh, let's start with Sundance because uh, that's, you know, not rampant speculation in uh, the trade press. Hold on, let me have some yes, please coffee. There we go. Um, didn't ASMR that, uh, fully there for you. Uh, so you're welcome or maybe sorry, depending on your preference. Um, Sundance, uh, there's uh, a lot of fun stuff in Sundance this year. Uh, there were 14, uh, things in the new frontier. Uh, if you check out our, uh, diaries, uh, you will see, um, that between Catherine and I, we managed to hit up everything. Um, I missed a couple of things, uh, you know, sometimes, sometimes moderation duties mean I, I lose an hour or two of uh, in a day and it just sends everything, uh, wonky. Uh, so there was some stuff I didn't get to, I didn't get to four feet high. Um, uh, cause, um, uh, that it didn't wind up happening. And I was, I was disappointed that I'm, I'm not the world's biggest, like 360 video person. I think we all know that, but, uh, my good friend, Michael Wilson really liked that piece, the, the chapter of that he saw. So like, I was like, Oh, well I'll, I'll go check it out. And it just, it, it disappeared before I was able to get to it. Uh, because, uh, the one thing about the one thing about going to festivals, um, in pandemic is you're not really at a festival. The rest of your life is there. You cannot isolate yourself from everything. You can't just say, Hey, I'm not here. At least I can't. Um, I think some people maybe were able to do that, but that is not the life I lead sadly. And man, I miss it. I miss being able to 
just immerse myself in a uh, in an arts festival and do nothing but that. Uh, mostly because, you know, my undiagnosed ADHD means that I'm liable to like track off anyway. <laughs> so just get me to a physical place where the only thing around me is the thing I am doing and I am a happy camper. Uh, but that being said, um, there are a few standout pieces and I haven't even finished writing about all the stuff that I think is standout. Uh, number one, uh, uh, rich kids, a history of shopping malls in Tehran, uh, absolutely stunning piece of work. I did a full write up on that one. Uh, not, not traditionally in the no proscenium wheelhouse, uh, but it does play with, um, play with the idea of like what a performance is extended over the internet. So fascinating for that reason, uh, mixes, uh, YouTube video, Instagram live and an Instagram feed to create something that is like greater than the sum of its parts. And it's also anchored by fantastic writing, just stellar writing. And you know, when it's all said and done and when it all comes down to it, um, good writing <laughs> goes a long way. Um, and, and this is something I think that, you know, folks get focused on the form so much that uh, sometimes they lose track of the core of the content. And that's writing and performing and world building and research. And here, this is a piece of you know, docu-theater that uh, not only you know, uses real life events as a jumping off point for some intellectual explorations, but also for some emotional explorations, speculates about the inner lives of the people uh, whose story this is. So uh, if that comes available in your area at some point, because uh, it's been making the festival circuit, it was also part of Under the Radar earlier in the month, uh, hop on it. And the nice thing about uh, the current era is um, the festival circuit in your area is anywhere on the planet where you can grab a ticket. So keep your eyes out for uh, more tickets for Rich Kids, uh, a history of shopping malls in Tehran. Over on the VR side of things, uh, two pieces that really stood out to me. Uh, one is uh, Prison X, uh, The Devil and the Sun, uh, uh, chapter one, The Devil and the Sun. Uh, this takes place in a uh, Bolivian uh, prison. Uh, it is a uh, fully rendered, well, it's it's full embodied VR. Uh, it's meant for PC tethered headsets. So uh, probably plays peak if you've got like a full Vive rig and everything, which, you know, can be can be pretty pricey. I mean, frankly... You know, if you've got a if you've got a Vive Pro and like a, a medium to high end rig, you're looking at about you know a twenty five hundred dollar or or you know investment between the headset and the computer. Um, I'm saying that for very specific reasons, which some people are like, oh, I know where he's going to go. It's like, yeah. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. Uh, it does function; it, it works just fine um, on uh, a Quest Two tethered to a perfectly decent PC with a good. <laughs> graphics card, which is what I've got. Um, and, uh, but there seems to be some loading issues and whatnot. I only mentioned this because like someone jumped into my like mentions and was like, Oh, well it worked fine for me with, and this is the rig I've got. And you know, they've got a vibe pro and it's like, that's, that's cool. That's pricey. Um, so it, there's, there's some performance, uh, you know, 
issues there. Uh, but that's, that's secondary, right? Uh, that's secondary to, um, just what they've managed to accomplish narratively and the way that the language of immersive theater has translated to and enhanced by the virtual environment. Uh, this is a, a, a story that blends, um, sort of c- contemporary uh, politics uh, in the region with um, uh, mythology. And this, I, I do a better job in the write-up. So go read the review I wrote, because I'm about to fail miserably at explaining my own ideas. Uh, read the review. I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. Uh, it's um, it, There's so much good going on in terms of the world building and the way they're 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 bringing folks into the world. There's there's a few kind of hiccups in the delay, even like the onboarding process for for the first couple of minutes. I was like, why can't I use anything? They they gate as they give you more abilities in the first minute or so. It's definitely been built for um, for a festival audience for folks who have never encountered this stuff before. They've been working on it since 2015, so a lot of those decisions make sense. Uh, but there's just so much good world building going on, so much good storytelling and so much uh, wonderful playing with perspective. And it's not a live uh, performance, but the the logic of traversing the space and encountering characters in a, in a nonlinear fashion um, is just straight up out of immersive theater. And here it is being translated and just just very exciting to see. So hoping that makes it outside of the festival circuit for not too long, but also suspect that it'll be bouncing around the festival circuit for a little bit. Um, and, um, you know, Tribeca was one of the, the, the logos on it. So maybe, maybe it'll come up later in the year. I can't say it will. Um, I have no knowledge one way or another. Um, I don't think it's been announced, but the logo was there. So keep an eye out for that one. Um, and, um, Another piece uh, that I haven't done a full write-up on yet, but I will probably put some more expanded notes. I haven't actually written up at all. Uh, uh, the uh, first chapter of The Changing Same, which uh, is uh, uses volumetric uh, capture technology to uh, put actors into a digitally rendered space uh, and exploring themes of uh, police brutality and sort of how that... Um, there's, there's a lot of visual references um using sort of the dream logic of we're standing one place but it's being melded with another to draw a direct parallel uh between um you know slavery and uh the current uh you know uh, justice system you can put scare quotes around that uh in the united states uh just they do a, a such a fantastic job in this piece of leaning into the limitations of the aesthetic. Um, Volumetric capture right now uh, can sometimes create this kind of torn vibe to it, depending on how exactly you're approaching it. And instead of trying to, I don't know, downplay that, uh, they lean in uh, to the sort of idea of, I don't know, you feel like you're, you feel like you're in a, in a, in a void, uh, like a, a dreamscape that, is a a tear in the space-time continuum. And so it makes absolute sense that uh, the people inside there would have that vibe as well. And I just, I love watching artists make what could be a weakness into a strength. And so very excited about how they've approached that project. Um, 
it's it's set up as serialized. Uh, it definitely ends right where you're like, whoa, what do you mean this is over? Uh, but it's it's a it's a short, quick bite. Uh, I'm on the hook for more episodes, hoping that they make some more. And again, the way they the team uses um, visually uses the logic of dreams uh, to to create these correspondences uh, across the rift of time um, through through set and and uh and and um you know uh, the word it's not you know, co- clothing how you're how they're clothing uh the char- characters all of that um just again reminds me of um reminds me of just how you would approach something in theater but without the limitations of you know having to deal with actual physical space so you getting to different stuff getting to like snap people from you know, like like you would in a film from you know modern clothes to you know clothes from the 1800s, uh, but all done in volume in space. That the the spatial aspect of the stuff makes a big difference. Um, the one thing that's kind of funky is um, because it is performance capture volumetric. The, the these performers are filmed and then they're kind of you know they're 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 filmed personas are sort of wrapped around uh digital bodies uh there's there's no eye tracking um you sort of have to place yourself uh in the space um so but but we'll move past that you know in in not too long so many advances are being made that um I, I expect that that kind of thing you know is a kind of an artifact of the time you know we'll we'll look back on you know this moment in time in in the production and be like yeah well that's how things were you know in the in the early 2010s oh no <laughs> we're in the 2020s baby oh boy oh boy time for a drink of coffee where did the decades go no seriously where did the decades go uh, yeah anyway um Jesu Maria that one, that's that's gonna be with me all day. I'm just shaking it. I'm literally shaking it out right now, like shaking the hands out. Okay, let's talk Apple. Uh, <laughs> um, so as you may have seen, making the rounds, uh, there are all kinds of rumors and speculations spilling out. Initially, from um, there's some reporting in Bloomberg, which is behind you know nice big juicy paywalls, and then. Uh, more in-depth reporting uh, at the information, which is behind an even higher, juicier paywall. Uh, and, and you wonder why American democracy is in trouble. I'm smiling that, like, this is not a real smile. This is like, what are we doing? Smile. Um, anyway, all this information uh, behind all these paywalls, as everyone quotes it, quotes it, quotes it, uh, a real picture of what seems to be going on emerges. And by picture, I mean literally like artist rendering drawings of what's going on. Uh, the current uh, buzz is that Apple is looking at making a VR headset as part of the, their road to having lighter AR glasses. Uh, developing an entire suite of XR mixed reality um, uh, hardware and, of course, then like applications. 
and that the VR headset is going to have like two 8K screens and 12 cameras for positional tracking, which is just a boatload of tech rammed into, you know, a sleek form factor, as is Apple's way, um, and with changeable headbands because like they, they want to get you that way. Um, and that the price is going to be around $3,000, which on initial blush, I just sort of went, well, <laughs> that's one way to not have a business unit. And then in, I settled in with it for a bit because there's always an Apple tax. Like when they're, cause let's be honest, $3,000 is 10 times the cost of a quest Two. And granted, you know, you're you're selling your soul to Facebook by having that. Uh, and, you know, uh, we've all done some of that. Uh, and that that delta, though, between the the low end of the price for consumer VR versus this incredibly high end. And granted, these are speculative prices. They could come in at an entirely different rate. Apple has more money than anyone. So if they decided they wanted to make a market overnight and charge way less in order to get more devices into more people's hands, they could, they could, you know, engineer a bit of that loss. Not, not all of that loss, but they can engineer some of it. Um, but then I started to think about where this device might actually fit into the ecosystem. Cause there's other, headsets that are going for a lot of money that have a lot of tech gear into them uh, that are still tethered to a PC, uh, some very high-end headsets uh, that are, are, are meant, some of them are clearly being positioned for LBE usage when that gets back. Um, but going with like these, these big, big prices in order to deliver a high quality experience. Now, I don't suspect that Apple's making a high quality headset that they're aiming at LBE. Apple doesn't do enterprise in that way. They are a lifestyle brand. They are a consumer focused company. There's some indications that maybe with the car that they're, you know, aiming to have these be fleet vehicles for, and not selling them to individuals. But I, I, I I'd be very surprised and I'll, easily be wrong here, but I'd be very surprised if there are too many plays in Apple that are focused at B2B stuff, right? So this headset uh, would be focused on consumers um, and Apple's not really you know, known for being great at gaming, yada, yada. So why $3,000? Um, and then I started to think about, like I mentioned earlier, you take a Vive Pro, you take a you know, the rig to run it, you're looking at 2,000, 2,500, way more. You look at the M1 chips and the kind of performance that Apple is getting on the new laptops and they're putting into their other devices. And it's just blowing people away, just, just annihilating what Intel's doing. Here's where I'm getting like all tech nerd and I'm not that much of a tech nerd, but Look at the benchmarks. Look at the way people are talking about this. Look at the feats that they're accomplishing on these new boards. And a picture emerges of, hey, what if the Apple headset had the capabilities of something like 
a fully tethered PC headset. How much would that be worth? Not having to be tethered to a PC, but getting PC level performance. If that is indeed what they're managing to eke out of this device. And then apply the usual Apple tax. What would that look like? That looked like about $3,000. Um, so what at first blush seemed to be, and, and granted, <laughs> if this thing comes out this year, I don't have $3,000 lying around. So, and uh, we're not a big enough deal to have them ship us a, a, a tester unit unless somebody is a fan at Apple listening to this show and like, please put us on the list. Obviously, we want to see what this will be about. But, um, you know, I, I don't have that kind of money to sink into it, but someone who is thinking about wanting to be on the high end, wanting to have PC level, tethered PC performance without the wires, <clears throat> well, then it just comes down to like what software is available, right? Like that, that becomes that play, how much content. And, you know, there's lots of leaks about the hardware at the moment. Uh, there's been no real talk about the software at the moment. Obviously, some of the big, uh, you know, Apple's in the middle of a big old fight with the largest, one of the largest game publishers uh, and the folks who have a, a technology set that undergirds so much of uh, the the VR PC market. That would be, you know, Epic Games. Um, who make the Unreal Engine, and they are in a very, very big fight over storefronts. Um, so keep our ears open for what might be going on on the software side of things, but it's not as unreasonable uh, as it seems at first if the performance is there. And at 8K and I, which is probably overkill, to be perfectly honest, uh, at least the visual performance, the, the 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 ceiling on the capabilities on the the physical hardware itself, pretty high. So let's keep an eye on this one. Uh, this could be, um, it, it could it could very well wind up being a game changer if they can get the software right. Obviously, that's a giant like wait and see, but. Um, Delivering PC performance without a PC, that is a different story from take a look at, you know, what will, will then be instantly the the lower end of the market, right? That kind of quasi-mobile end of the market. This will be a, a category shifter. So let's keep our eyes open, our ears open. All right. Uh, I am running late to a meeting now. What a shock. So let's wrap up the show as we normally do. Uh, first off, uh, again, uh, if you can keep us going, please help us out. Patreon.com slash no proscenium. Uh, that's what keeps me alive, keeps the newsletter going, the podcast going, the website's going, and it's just, it's just, it's just you and me against the world, kids. Uh, and thank you as always to our sustaining backers. Uh, that would be Mark Baltazar, Jan Budman, Paul F., Sidney Guillory, Lonnie Hands on, Ari Hurston, 
Emily Gillette, Samuel Mustry, Brittany, and Elaine. The music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. The coffee is provided by Yes Please. And you can find everything we do at nopersinium.com and everythingimmersive.com. Um, that's, that's all you really need at the moment. So until next time, thank you for wearing the mask. <laughs>